But I guess my vision has always been to be the Michael Scott of State Farm agents. So <laughs> from a culture standpoint, I try to make it fun, right? I feel like sometimes I annoy the team, right? They're just tired of my positivity and you know optimism. But they're all right there with me, right? It's a team of people that want to have fun, really enjoy the work. That's one thing I kind of look for is back to your point about like when it's time for someone to go, right? One big thing I always look for is does this person actually like the job? Yeah. Because in order to be any good at what we do, you actually have to like what you're doing. You can't just show up and do it. Maybe you can. I don't think you're gonna be very good at it if you do that. Though. So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our leadership, develop our teams and scale our business in a way that allows us to get our products and services out to the world yet still remain profitable? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Autopilot Recruiting. Join over 1,200 State Farm agents in putting your recruiting on Autopilot. Any successful insurance agent will tell you how important team is. Finding those rock star team members doesn't happen when left to chance. It happens through consistent recruiting. You never know when you're going to lose a team member, and the key to an incredible team is constantly searching for the best talent. Autopilot Recruiting is a continuous recruiting service where you'll be assigned a recruiter that has been trained to recruit on your behalf every business day. This recruiter will take over and revamp your career plug, send out assessments, do pre-screened phone interviews, and schedule your in-office interviews. All you need to do is to show up and give a thumbs up or a thumbs down. This ongoing service is extremely affordable and a no-brainer for taking your insurance agency to the next level. Listeners of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast, go to autopilotrecruiting.com and use the code CLUBCAPITAL to get started. Again, autopilotrecruiting.com and use the code CLUBCAPITAL to get started. Welcome, everyone. My name is Bradley Hamner. I'm host of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast, and we're going to do this a little Q&A style. So I've got the chat and I've got the Q&A pulled up over here to the left on one of my screens. And so as we go along and you've got some questions, I encourage you to be able to participate and ask, and I'll be Q&A on the chat and Q&A. So Isaac, and true to form with the podcast, why don't you give a little bit of your background and origin story first? And then I'll start teeing you up with some questions. Sure. My name is Isaac Stuto. Been a State Farm agent now, a little over three and a half years. Started out my State Farm career working for an agent in my hometown of Newport Richie, Florida. Uh, I was born and raised here in the Tampa Bay area. Worked for that agent for about seven years. Absolutely loved what I was doing. Turns out I was pretty good at it too. So got the opportunity to open up my own agency September 2019. Graduate of the University of Central Florida. I guess I should mention my agency is in a little hidden gem of a city called Dunedin, which most people have probably not heard of, but it's about 15 miles northwest of Tampa, right on the western coast. I'm married, no kids, having a lot of fun growing the agency over the last three years and looking forward to more success in the future. Awesome. All right. So the first question I want to ask you is, I think all of us have, we have, we come into our small businesses with different skill sets. Okay. And for me, I should have known how to manage or how to look at financials 
got a degree in finance from Auburn. My dad's a small business owner, yet I had no idea what I was doing when I started my business. And so just give people a little bit of kind of your background of skill set of understanding small business financials. What was that like for you whenever you started your business? Evolving. So, you know, prior to opening the agency, I'd always constantly be reading Wall Street Journal or listening to different financial podcasts or audio books. I guess my approach to financials, though, is I try to keep it super simple. Mm. So I know at one point we were talking about what the title of this chat was going to be. And I think it was it's going to be something like maintaining positive cash flow. Right. But we changed it because that's easy. You just spend less than you make. That's how you maintain positive cash flows. But I guess overall, my approach, I've always kept my personal financials very lean. When I started working for the agent before opening my own office, it was with the anticipation of having this opportunity. And so for that reason, I tried to stay away from a lot of debt. Like I said, keep my personal expenses very lean because I knew that first year I was going to need to be able to reinvest all the revenue that was generated in order to really get this thing off the ground. And I guess I kind of run the agency in a similar fashion. As far as diving into the numbers, Club Capital gives me a lot of really good reports, especially their forecasting reports, which is super helpful. But basically, we're able to kind of project out for the next 12 months what expected revenues are going to be, what expected expenses are going to be. And it really helps me keep a finger on the pulse of the agency as far as making different marketing decisions or hiring decisions. So it's my financial background and looking at financials is maybe not that vast, but that's why I outsource it and have a great team of people to help me with that. You mentioned reinvestment and so totally can relate to that myself. One of the things looking back on it for me was that I was reinvesting with no plan for when was I going to be able to start taking home more money in my business, right? And so how did you approach that then? And then maybe how do you approach that now? And kind of what I'm getting at is this level of understanding reinvestment, but at the same time, the break-even part, and then starting to be able to grow profit every year. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. So I guess when I first started like I said, I had seven years working for an agent anticipating day one, right? So I guess my plan when I opened was to have enough money saved up to cover all of my personal expenses. So if I didn't make a single dollar profit that year, I'd be fine. So I guess initially my timeline was a year. I was going to take that first year and reinvest absolutely every dollar of profit into hiring more team members or expanding our marketing whether it's different kinds of marketing or buying more internet leads or sponsoring more teams or attending more events. And then nowadays, I really lean on the forecasting model to let me know when the best time would be to reinvest. And and my go-to reinvesting is hiring people, right? The more people you have, it just seems to generate organically more production, which leads to more revenue, which leads to a better bottom line. But as far as the break-even points on my initial investment, is that what you're referring to, Brad? Part of it is on the initial investment. Part of it is on whenever that part where you were profitable in the business to where you're not just reinvesting the profits every year and then being back down to, say, zero, right? So how you balance between, okay, I made $100,000 in profit, I'm just using a round number, to okay, now if I make this investment in one or two extra team members, that's going to reduce my profit in the short term, right? From a short term profit and cash flow perspective. But then the ultimate, I can see the numbers forecasted out to where that's actually going to end up paying more dividends in the future. How did you look at that? And then how do you look at that now? Yeah. So 
actually, I remember I got on a call with Micah at one point and I asked him, see if he could help build a scenario for me into our forecast. And I basically, I sent him my compensation structure for like a new team member, right? What they get paid based on what they produce. And I told him what the starting salary was. And I said, hey, I want you to build this out for me based on my average production expectations for a salesperson, which 20 autos, 10 fire, two life, two health. And so we did that. We took that. We ran those numbers to figure out a team member that we bring on. If they hit those average monthly production goals, I'll break even on them in about 18 months. So that's how I go about that. And then what I kind of gauge currently, I've always kept my personal and business finances separate. I know some folks kind of intermingle the two. I've always been super diligent about not doing that. So I have a really good idea of the health of the business. And then basically what I do is in the operating account, once it surpasses two months worth of expenses, Mm -hmm. then I take a withdrawal from that. And that's kind of how I gauge when it's time to give Papa Bear a little bit more money in his bank account. Does that answer your question? It does. Yeah. It's actually one of the specific questions as I wanted to ask you about is around this idea of owner compensation. So we're going to go back to that in just a second. So let's stay on this idea. How do you balance whenever you're setting, you're looking at production targets and you're looking at your financials, how would you suggest someone to balance their goals of what they're wanting to do? They're wanting to increase their production. They're wanting to go from I don't know, 75 autos produced in a month and they're wanting to be able to get it to 100, okay? And they think that another producer is going to be able to do that. And probably would. But then they're also kind of wanting to go over here and they can do that pretty easily on a piece of paper or Excel. But then also they need to look at and consider their financials in making that decision is, do I have the cash flow? Do I have the money to be able to do that? And if I don't, that's where you could, in some cases, leverage debt. And maybe we can discuss that. I know you mentioned debt already a minute ago, but different people have different opinions around utilization of debt. But sticking to this idea of if you have three producers wanting to go to four, you can see what you wanting to do to accomplish from a production standpoint. But then how are you also kind of cross-referencing that with your financials to make that decision and say, okay, now's the time to do it? I think you got to kind of have to start with the monetary side of things, right? Wanting to go from 75 autos to 100 autos, like your example. My question would be like, well, why is that the number? How did you arrive at wanting to get to 100 autos? So what we typically do is we set a goal for scorecard in March, and then we kind of work the numbers backwards from there. Where were we at this year? What's my scorecard goal next year? What do we have to do to fill that gap? And then if that equals increasing auto production from 75 to 100, That's now the goal, right? From a production standpoint, as far as knowing when is the right time to bring that extra salesperson on, what impact it's going to have on my bottom line. That's where I go to the forecasting platform because that thing specifically will tell me, all right, currently we're projected to have net profits of 20,000 a month. If we bring that extra person on, it's going to decrease the net profits initially by let's say $4,000 a month. But then what you can see over time is that reduction in net profits diminishes as that person starts producing, renewals start stacking. And ultimately, after 18 months, that person is already broken even on the investment of that new team member. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Yeah, it does make sense. Let me ask you a couple of specifics. So for everybody on here, Chris, I see your question. I'll definitely make sure I ask him about uh, budgeting for tax liability in just a couple of seconds. And anybody else, you have questions, Chris, just put in the chat, do that. And then I'll make sure we hit those in just a second. I want to ask you a specific question around compensation for your team. So give us some ideas and some range, ranges for maybe account managers mm-hmm. service, and then also sales and a little bit about kind of high level around compensation and what a typical first year salesperson who is doing well, let's just say they're hitting targets, right? They're not some superstar, but they're hitting your targets, doing exactly what you want them to do. What does that look like for them? I know people always want to hear kind of ideas around compensation. Yeah, for sure. A lot of people think it's mind blowing is when I first opened, my starting salary for a team member was $24,000 a year. And the agents would ask me all the time, how do you get people on board for that low of a base salary? And I just looked at him and said, well, who wouldn't want to work for this guy, right? One of the things I've always been really big on is culture, right? And letting the people that work for me know how much I appreciate them being a part of the success of the agency. Prior to insurance, my background was in restaurants. And I kind of take a little bit from there knowing like the most important position in a restaurant is your server. It's not the manager. It's not the cook. It's a server because the server is the only person that interacts with every customer that comes in, right? That patron's not going to see the chef. They're not going to see the manager. Something goes wrong, probably. And that's kind of the way I've always approached this business is I want to basically be a cheerleader for my team and give them all the accolades, which I guess I should throw that out there now. Like the success we've had as an agency, it's far less to do with me and way more to do with them. But then just kind of breed a culture of positivity and make a fun environment that people want to work at which sounds kind of idealistic, but then you have to back it up, right? So one thing I do a little different than a lot of other agents is I offer full benefits, right? We've got a 401k, health insurance, dental, group life. Everybody gets a gym membership, really letting them know, yeah, that maybe the salary is not as high as if you went to go work at Fifth Third Bank. How much is that costing you, Isaac? Roughly the 401k is about $2,000 a year just for the fees. Health insurance is roughly... $8,400 a year. So I would say, what, maybe like $15,000 a year, something like okay. that. Yep. That makes sense. How many people do you have utilizing the health insurance that you offer? So currently just two, but my new guy, Jake, once he hits 90 days, he's going to hop on board. And then I've got a girl starting Monday after her 90 days, her plan is to hop on board as well. So mm. roughly cost me $700 an employee per month mm. for the health insurance. Mm. But it works out given where they start out salary-wise, right? That and then makes sense. back that up, I have a very aggressive compensation structure where they're hitting the expected production requirements. They should easily double that salary. You know, okay. I have people that wouldn't double it. So. Gotcha. So is it safe to say someone does what those expectations that you laid out in a year, they're going to be somewhere in the fifty dollars to $60,000 range per team member is kind of their total compensation range and plus they've got a full suite of benefits. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely fair. Yeah. Okay, good. Let me ask around and feel free to share or however much you're comfortable with, but owner's compensation, you know, there's a lot of different places that I don't know what entity you are. So there's this idea of you're an S corp or you're so prop, et cetera. Do you pay yourself a salary? How much? 
Do you pay yourself a salary? There's all these different opinions of that. And then you mentioned earlier about, hey, when my operating account gets above two months or so, I'm going to give daddy a little bit more of a distribution there. You know, what does that look like for you in terms of kind of your overall compensation and how do you look at that? And I'm just asking this question because I just think these are the things that we all think about, but we just don't ask. And we don't talk. We talk one-to-one, but it's almost like it's behind the curtain a little bit. And I wanted to be able to kind of share that. So you don't have to necessarily share numbers, but maybe just your approach to it. Yeah, I mean, I'll share numbers. So I'm an S-Corp, right? So I have a, what do they call it? It has to be a, a fair or reasonable salary. So I pay yeah. myself 65 a year, right? Yeah. That's my salary. Now, out of that, 15% of it is going into the Roth 401k I set up for the team, right? It's also a benefit for me, selfishly, not just for them. And then basically, yeah, once the operating account has enough to cover two months of expenses, I'll typically pay for withdrawal of 10,000 out and just put that into a money market. And it just kind of sits there, right? Personally, my wife and I are looking to buy a new house this year, which the market in Dunedin is absolutely out of control, working on saving up for, for that. But yeah, I don't have a set number that I pay myself each year other than the salary, basically. Mm. There's consistent withdrawals pretty much every month. We've got enough cash flow to cover the payroll for two months pretty much every month. So, Have you ever thought, wouldn't it be incredible if you had direct access to our expert podcast guest in real time and be able to ask a question specific to your business? Well, now you have the opportunity to do that. After three and a half years, we're finally launching a leadership podcast community, and we want you to be a part of it. We're launching this podcast community on June the 1st. Go to club.capital forward slash podcast, and you'll get all the details. You'll be able to interact with every single one of the podcasts that we record in real time and ask us questions and be able to ask the guest questions. In addition to that, we're going to have a monthly exclusive Q&A just for our leadership podcast listeners. Go to club dot capital forward slash podcast. That's club dot capital forward slash podcast and be one of the very first to join. I can't wait to see you in our leadership podcast community. Let's talk about set aside for budgeting for taxes, right? So what does that look like for you? What's your cadence and your rhythm for making sure that the IRS doesn't come knocking or if they do, you're good? Well, I mean, in all honesty, I outsource that, right? Like I have people that tell me at the end of the year, what forecasting to have a tax, like what the tax liability is going to look like for next year, right? And then we just split that by four and I pay quarterly taxes. Then I usually have to pay a little bit more at the end of the year in addition to what we paid. But that part's pretty straightforward. Is that what you're referring to? Like just how I pay those? Yeah. Some people are familiar with the profit first or use some version of it. Do you have multiple accounts or are you really operating pretty much all the financials out of one account? What's your thoughts on that? No. So I've got operating account for Isgar Stuso Insurance Agency, Inc., right? And then we've also got the mortgage brokerage. There's an account set up for that. And then we've got, I've got separate credit cards for the business and myself. And then I've got the money market account that's in my personal name along with my checking account. So, I mean, there's probably five or six different deposit accounts and then only like four credit cards. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Let's talk about marketing. You mentioned marketing a couple of times. I think for most people outside of your team and the investment that you have in your employees and your salary for that matter, marketing is one of the biggest percentages that you make the investment in. 
Chris, when we did his webinar last time, he really dove into some of the his marketing, his approach to the marketing numbers, et cetera. What about you? What has been your approach to marketing? What percentage of revenue do you invest in marketing? What does that look like? Well, I believe I've allocated 20% of our overall budget to marketing, right? So like I try to keep employee expenses at around 50%, marketing at 20%. And I look for different avenues to a lot of people spend a lot of money on internet links, right? Mm-hmm. I try not to. Instead, I try to find more, like Chris mentioned, right? We do a lot of events. Dunedin's a, a very happening city. And this, the local city of Dunedin government does a really good job of letting business owners know about all the events throughout the year. And they even have a little book that they get in. It says like average attendance per event. And so I try to do at least one event a month. But then not just show up and give stuff away. We also, typically the events are to benefit some kind of a organization, mm. right? So we have a little sign-up sheet. We say, hey, if you sign up for a quote, we're also going to donate an extra $10 to the Dunedin Scottish Arts Foundation. And so we get a lot of people that are like, yeah, I'd love to do that. And so we usually get anywhere from 25 to 30 names. And then we call on those the next week after the event, typically on a weekend. We convert about 30% of them. So pretty healthy return. It typically pays for the event and then some. And it's good networking with other business owners too, like the other sponsors of the event, right? Because it's not just me. And so we get a lot of good traction on the commercial side of things too, just from those events by talking to business owners. And then I'm always looking for new ways to market. So I guess I split it into two areas, right? Marketing and branding. So I have, I think, seven bus shelters that have my poster on them. They get rotated actually throughout Pinellas County. Do I do that because I think someone's going to see that bus shelter and then call my office? No, I do that because it's like direct mail, right? You put this beard in front of enough faces enough times. At some point, they're going to think about insurance. And I'd be like, let me call that guy with the immaculate beard that I see all over Dunedin. And it, I think that's how that works. So that's like the branding side of things. Whereas marketing is like, I look at the events as actual marketing. We're going out trying to actually grab leads to call on. Does that answer your question? It does. Yeah. And, and I'll share just for everyone a little bit about how I kind of see it. I would call what he's saying marketing. I refer to it as direct response. So you're able to get a specific number of how many leads did we get? So many of you, if you buy internet leads as an example, or have different vendors that you get, you can say we are spending $10 per $15 per X number of leads. And quick question on that. And then I'll continue on. Do you know generally what of the money that you spend in marketing overall what percentages goes to branding efforts versus what I'm calling direct response? Uh, I can double check that. Yeah. While you do that, I'll share with people, if you think about this was helpful for me because I'm not very smart. So I needed an analogy to help me. I don't have one of these shirts. I don't know what the big deal is, but Supreme. If you guys need like Supreme shirts, it's a big deal. If you got a t-shirt and it all of a sudden has Supreme on it, then it's a $400 shirt or whatever. I'm sure Chris... Both Ferretti and Chris Jones probably have some Supreme gear, but because of the branding power, they can charge $400. And so what someone shared with me, actually one of my coaches shared with me is that initially early on in a business life cycle, you're going to see 80, 90% of the effort, maybe even in some cases, 100% of the marketing budget is going to be allocated to direct response because you got to be able to get leads so you can convert them. And then over time, as the business matures, you begin to see that go a lot closer to 70, 30, 60, 40, 50, 50, et cetera. So if you think about 
a bigger company, they're not doing direct response. They're going to be doing a lot more branding focus. And someone like Warren Buffett is going to focus on companies that have a really, really strong brand. And so that was helpful for me around marketing and branding and direct response. What does that look like for you, Isaac? Were you able to find that? Yeah. So I think currently it's about, it's honestly about 50-50, right? Because I spent pretty heavily on search engine optimization, banner ads, trying to get as many clicks to the microsite as humanly possible, getting Google reviews. So it's about 50-50, maybe a little heavier on the direct side if you consider what I'm paying for some of these events. I just sponsored a golf tournament last week. It was $5,000 to sponsor the tournament, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a pretty heavy expense for that month. But yeah, it's pretty close to 50-50, if not a little bit more heavily on the direct side. Let me ask you this. Chris talked about this at his webinar too, but I don't think I'd ask this question this way. Let's say that you've got someone who's worked for you and they're going to go and start their agency. Okay, so I'm just asking this question in the context of someone who's within their first 12 months. Where would you recommend that they invest early on that first year or so in marketing, just kind of generally speaking, and then contrast that with someone, say it's at year 10, has a really mature business, mature team. What do you see that the, the contrast of those two situations like for the business owner regarding their marketing? I don't know that it depends on how long you've been an agent. I, I think it more depends on what you're trying to accomplish. So when I first opened, I was very heavily invested and involved in these events, right? Because my office is in Dunedin, but I live about 45 minutes north, right? Mm-hmm. So my goal was to mix it up with the locals here, you know, actually meet people, shake hands, get my name out there. I don't think you can spend enough money on search engine optimization and Google reviews. If you're not paying your team to get you Google reviews, you're doing yourself a disservice. And it's pretty easy. We just have like a little template in our Outlook. If you have a good interaction with someone, you just say, hey, selfishly, I'm going to send you a link if you can leave us a Google review. It's the best form of marketing I've ever seen. And I think in a little over three and a half years, we were up over 145 star reviews. And I was thinking about that in the car today. I think that's where I would put money first and foremost. If you want anything, Brad, right? You want shoes, you want something to eat, someone to fix your car, you're going to Google, right? And the first thing you're going to do is look at who's got the highest rating. Mm. And once you find three people with five star ratings, you say, all right, well, who has the most reviews, right? Because that person's going to be more credible based on the amount of reviews they have. So I think first and foremost, I guess with either scenario, I would say you need to make sure you're really capitalizing on the Google and SEO market. As a newer agent, I guess I would say events would be a big thing, right? Because the amount of support you get from the business owners you meet at these events, not just from a prospect point of view, but really helping you, introducing you to the people you should know in the community, right? I think events are a really good way to go. Plus the conversion rate on events, we average 30%, right? That's way better than 5% on internet leads, in my opinion. So, Michael asked a good question. Do you track on SEO efforts? Nope. Sorry, I don't um, have a great answer, Mike. Well, no, the great answer is the honest answer. All right, let me transition. I want to ask you about your role and what maybe a typical day or a typical week looks like for you. So maybe what are the top three to five things that you spend time doing in the office that only you can uniquely do? I've actually had conversations with several people this week about this very thing. And I think that all of us as business owners being able to focus on what are the things that we need to be focused on to be able to grow the business? What does that look like for you? And keep in mind, I've been doing this a little over three and a half years. So I'm just now at the point in my career where I am easing out of actually doing production, right? First two years, I was the rock star, basically. Mm. 
So that's kind of a good question because I'm in a transition period where I'm trying to get out of that production role and focus more heavily on supporting the team, right? Finding different online trainings they can use. Like we just signed up for the team member trainer deal, which so far has been awesome. We tried a couple other ones the last year, also role-playing with them, being available for those situations that come up that maybe they're not comfortable handling just yet and trying to help walk them through that. And then just recently set up reports in ECRM where I can actually look at how they're logging the opportunities that they're working, right? Because ECRM is a great tool, but it's I think Chris mentioned this on his talk. ECRM is one of the things where it's like, oh, we're doing every day. You got to make sure that that inputting is accurate to get the most out of it. So it's probably looking at reports, training the team, looking for different marketing opportunities. Although the, the girl I'm hiring on Monday, she's quote unquote titled the director of marketing. So she's going to kind of take that over for me and really be more hands-on with the social media side of things. I constantly check the phone call reports and I mm-hmm. log that on a just plain old whiteboard in the office. So everybody knows who's making the calls, how many they're making. And then we track like current week versus last week and then prior month versus this month on the phone calls. I don't think of anything else specifically that I just did. That's good. That's helpful. I know people always want to be able to ask, let's say that you hire someone, you bring someone on in a producing role. Let's just use that one. I mean, we could certainly discuss it in a service account manager role if we needed to as well. But particularly in a sales role, what are a couple of things that you're looking for immediately in a salesperson whenever you're recruiting someone? That's number one. Number two, What are maybe one or two tips that you have for being able to get somebody up to speed quickly? And then third part of this question, what do you do whenever someone is underperforming? I mean, they're just not where they need to be. They've got it in them, uh, or so you think, but they're just not performing at that level. What what do you do there? So three questions. Yeah, so my hiring process, there's like five steps to it, right? So I do a phone interview first, but I guess... I try to do really drop down and screen people out initially, right? So we do a phone screen. If you're terrible on the phone, that's 95% of what we do. So next, right? If that goes well, I have them take an assessment, the can they sell assessment, kind of look at the results of that, make sure the cognitive ability is there, make sure some of their characteristic or character traits align with the position. I think one thing I do that maybe some agents don't do is when they come in for the in-person interview, they interview with me for like 30 to 45 minutes. And then I'd release them to the team, right? I'm not even part of that interview. I just say, all right, guys, here they are. Ask them whatever questions you're going to ask them. And then we talk about it as a team. And we say, like, what'd you think? And I always let them go first. They always want me to go first with what I think. But I get their feedback first. And I think that really helps to make sure from a culture standpoint that that person's going to fit in, get along with everybody. Because then when they do come on, as far as getting them up to speed, it's not just on me, right? We've got all these online resources they can go to. But the team's bought into bringing this person on as well. So they're all available to help when I'm unavailable or golfing, to be honest, right? And then as far as like an underperforming team member, I would say what I try to do is play people to their strengths. So I think if you come in and you're underperforming from a production standpoint, the first thing I'm going to do is try and find, is there something that this person brings to the table that is valuable enough to overcome that underperformance? And if there is, then maybe we adjust their role. We play that person to their strengths, right? If there isn't, then it's time to have a conversation about 
how do you think things are going? Here's where I'm at. How do we get you to a spot where you're performing at the level we need? But also back to like the way I compensate people, given the salary that I start people out at, if they're underperforming, they're typically going to fire themselves, right? It's not something that I need to do. I guess that's kind of my approach. Absolutely. Yeah. For everybody listening, I've got a couple more questions. So if you've got a question that you want to ask Isaac, then post in the chat and I'll be sure to share. We're going to go for maybe six or seven more minutes. We want to be certainly respectful of your time. Isaac, you've been super open with us. So we appreciate you providing value and the growth that you've been able to have and then contributing to everybody and giving them your time today. So I appreciate it. Let's ask, where do you set out I think a lot of times we can always get kind of in a myopic one-year sprints, right? This one year, one year, one year, what do I want to do this year? Do you set longer-term goals? Do you have a three-year vision, a 10-year plan? Have you gone out longer in your business to be able to set some bigger targets of where you want to be? Yes, I have. Maybe not from the traditional financial perspective. I guess I've always had the kind of vision the first few years. I'm right alongside the team, grinding out production, building up the book of business. And then I see them like starting this year, right? The next three years is more along the lines of me phasing out of the production, really focusing on building the team up, getting everybody in a spot where they're bringing value to the agency and every basically just building the machine or fine tuning the machine, I should say. And then I see that the three years following more or less just having a really solid team in place that more or less organically governs itself to where I'm kind of just focused on driving business to the office for them to take care of. As far as a revenue target or an income target for myself, I guess I'm a little untraditional in that fashion. I guess what I focus more on is I look at that as like the result of what I'm focused on, right? So I want to focus on getting good people in, getting them trained up and knowledgeable and helping them build their own personal brand and align with the agency brand, right? And then the income just being after effect of hitting that goal. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yep. How has having an understanding of financial statements and your financials, just having a pulse on them, how do you feel like that's benefited you personally the most? I guess I, I have a pretty good understanding of how money works, how to leverage certain, I mean, because I outsource a lot of that, right? All the financial stuff. For me, mm-hmm. it's more like a team building exercise in the office, Mm. right? It's probably more beneficial leading up to opening the agency than anything else, right? Because before opening, I didn't have a team of people helping me with the financials. So I had to personally have an understanding of how to accumulate enough cash to fully fund myself the first year. Yeah. Right. So I guess I don't really have a good answer to that question, Brad. It's definitely beneficial. I just don't know how to explain in what aspect. Last two questions. Culture. Chris talked a lot about culture is kind of like leadership in a lot of ways. It's sometimes hard to put your hand on it, right? I mean, we know it, we feel it whenever we're a part of it, good or bad. What are some specific things that you do to be able to drive the culture in your agency that you want? Lead by example, for sure. The team sees how I interact with customers, right? And I think to be professional doesn't mean you have to show up in a a suit and tie, right? Being professional doesn't mean you have to use big, fancy, articulate words. Being professional, in my opinion, is just knowing what you're doing, knowing your product, knowing how to have a conversation with a customer and help them uncover needs they didn't know they had. And so a lot of it's just leading by example, letting them know like, hey, you can be comfortable and call somebody bro, 
right? You don't have to say sir and ma'am every time. You know, granted, read the room because there are times where you want to go sir or ma'am. But I guess my vision has always been to be the Michael Scott of State Farm agents. So <laughs> from a culture standpoint, I try to make it fun, right? I feel like sometimes I annoy the team, right? They're just tired of my positivity and you know optimism. But they're all right there with me, right? It's a team of people that want to have fun, really enjoy the work. That's one thing I kind of look for is back to your point about like when it's time for someone to go, right? One big thing I always look for is does this person actually like the job? Yeah. Because in order to be any good at what we do, you actually have to like what you're doing. You can't just show up and do it. Maybe you can. I don't think you're going to be very good at it if you do that. Thing. And then we try to do team building events. One year, I just said, all right, guys, get in the car. And we went to Salvation Army. We all picked out $5 suits, right? And then I hired a photographer to come and take a bunch of pictures of us in downtown to eat and dress like secret agents for Halloween. Yeah, I mean, that's part of having fun, letting them know I've got their back no matter what. I always tell them, like, I expect you to make mistakes. I've probably made the mistake you've made. I know how to fix it. I'll pay to fix it if that's what it costs. Just don't do it again, right? So I think trying to give them the confidence to be able to get out of their comfort zone, knowing that I have their back if it goes wrong, but also getting along with each other. I think the group interview with the team is crucial to the culture, right? Because they'll tell me right away if this person's not going to fit in with everybody else. You spend more time with people you work with than anybody else, right? So no doubt about that. That's some of the things I do. But yeah, I guess mainly just try to have fun. Let them know I have their back. Try to get them together for team building events and uh, look out for stinkers, I guess. All right. I got one last question for those of you that are listening to this. We're excited to let everybody know that pretty soon we're going to be launching a community. So we're going to be doing all kinds of cool things with Club Capital and the podcast. And so we haven't released any of those details, but go to club.capital forward slash podcast and put in your email and we'll let you know more about what we're going to be doing with the community. We've got some pretty cool stuff to be able to experience, do more things like this. Isaac, you've been awesome today. Appreciate your time. Last question. Sure. What is the best piece of leadership advice you've ever received? One thing sticks out. So a good friend of mine, also a State Farm agent, Edward J. Burke, I did my little two-week internship in his office, and he told me one thing. I don't know if this is leadership advice, but I just like it anyway. He's like, you know the beauty of this job is there's a thousand different ways you can run a State Farm agency, and not a single one of them. Yeah. So I think anytime I talk to new agents or aspirants and they're about to open their office, I just tell them one thing. I'm like, remember one thing, have fun, enjoy what you're doing, and don't be afraid to be ridiculous with it because a lot of these crazy ideas might actually pay off. I might not track the ROI specifically, but when I look at the bottom line and that operating account continues to go in the correct direction, I know I'm doing something right. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. All right, everyone. Appreciate you all so much. Thanks for hopping on. Isaac, you're a killer. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me.